Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Lord, uh, we do thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. Uh, fall is incredible. We're grateful for it, Lord, your blessing to us. Lord, as we now enter the time of our uh, service this morning, Lord, we pray that you would um, prepare our hearts and our ears to take in and hear exactly what you have for us this morning, Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray against uh, distractions within our mind. And, Lord, that we would be able to focus on your word to us this morning. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for what it does for us and to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I've got a praise that probably should wait until... Praise and prayer request time, but I'm going to let it go now. Uh, so my kids went to the dentist this week, right? Like two, Monday or Tuesday? What day was it? Wednesday, neither one. So they went Wednesday, and uh, they had no cavities, none of my kids. And that's good because it was like five of them who went. So five kids no cavities. And uh, <laughs> so Peyton comes home and he's telling me that no cavities and that's great. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a good dentist. He said, it is, Dad. He said, in fact, he told us that he won, he recently, his office won an award. And I said, man, that's really cool. What was it? He said, oh, it was a, it was a little plaque. A little plaque. It took me that long to get it, too. And then Carly, as she was getting up out of the dentist chair, she said that the dentist said uh, he had something he needed to, to run by her about uh, a tooth of hers. She said, okay, what's, what's that, Doc? And uh, he said, I'll fill it in later. Like a filling. I'll fill it in later. I'll fill in your tooth later. I thought they were great jokes. So, but they're, they're definitely dad jokes. So if you wonder where I keep all that, I keep it in my database. Database for dad jokes. Anyway. Uh, I owe you guys a quick sermon because the last two times I've preached, I went about 55 minutes, and then the time before that, an hour. And that's not right. It's wrong to do that to people. And so I owe you a quicker sermon, plus Quincy, who just got back from the uh, far-off reaches of the world, has told me that they've got a lunch to be at, and surely whoever's preaching in Paul's place will preach quickly. And I said, I got it. So, let's get to it. Uh, 
grumbling and arguing, and, and no doubt, guys, uh, the majority of this sermon is going to be spent on verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's the main portion that we will be hitting on, um, but we will be referencing mostly uh, uh, excerpts from Exodus and Numbers. So we will stay in that section a whole, whole lot, um, but I'll get you to turn there when it's time. Uh, you know, Noah, I assume he does this with, with Paul when Paul preaches, but I know for me, whenever I preach, uh, Noah texts, you know, like Monday or so in the week and says, hey, can you let me know what your sermon is on so I can get some songs that are, uh, you know, appropriate for whatever the topic is. So uh, sometime in the week, I texted him what I was doing, uh, my sermon on, and I thought, good luck with that. Right? How are you going to find some worship songs that talk about us grumbling and arguing with the Lord? Um, of course, the only way you can do that is to do the opposite, which is to trust in the Lord and to worship the Lord. And he, of course, did a great job. I thought that was very cool. But to that point, before we get into this kind of heavy topic, in my opinion, of grumbling and arguing, um, I think we need to keep in mind, and I'll hit on this a little bit later, um, but keep in mind that this is uh, part of our sanctification. This is not a are you saved or are you not topic. This is not something that you have to conquer in order to find salvation in the Lord. This is part of our sanctification. So if you struggle greatly with this, like me, then rest assured, you can still be a Christian, yet struggle with this. So I've got three uh, questions that I want us to consider uh, and make sure that we answer. And and going over the text that we're going to get into, we will definitely answer these questions, and they all kind of uh, will answer themselves for us. We won't really struggle with it. Um, But those three questions uh, would be, what is grumbling and arguing? Uh, what is the origin of our grumbling and arguing, and then how does God view our grumbling and arguing? Um, If you notice, my Bible is closed. Don't worry. Uh, I'm going to preach from the Bible. I've got everything uh, moved onto paper so that I don't have to have that taking up so much space. So I will be preaching from the Bible. Don't worry about that. So if we get into the first section Uh, As our first question is, what is grumbling and arguing? Verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling and arguing. Now, if you're uh, using a different version of the Bible, some uh, versions would say grumbling uh, or disputing. And the one-worded definition of disputing is arguing. So that's defined. So if you've got disputed, you can just replace it with arguing and interchange those if you need to. Um, one thing, uh, again, I think that the first thing that comes to most of our minds when we think of the topic of grumbling and arguing, uh, the first thing that typically comes to our minds uh, would be the, the Israelites when they uh, left Egypt with Moses um, because they get into a whole lot of grumbling and arguing. Um, and that's where we're going to 
go. We're going to look at uh, their journey and how they handled this. Uh, but before we do that, I think it's proper that we, uh, to get good context, I think it's proper that we define grumbling and arguing. Uh, grumbling is defined as uh, complain about to complain about something in a bad-tempered way. Arguing is uh, to give reason or cite evidence in support of an idea, action, or theory, typically with the aim of persuading others to share one's view. That doesn't sound quite as bad. So we're going to look at Exodus and Numbers, and there are a lot of uh, scriptures to get to. So bear with me. I'm going to read it for us, but it's a lot. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, if you want to start turning there, I'm going to start reading uh, while you're turning. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. It says, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then verse 6 and 7, it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know what? Excuse me, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Chapter 17, 1 through 4, and then verse 7. The whole Israelite community set out with the, from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? When the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses, they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are all ready to stone me. Verse 7, and he called the place Masa Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us? Numbers chapter 11. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera, because fire from the Lord burned among them. Four through six, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now we have lost our appetite we never see anything but this manna. 10 and 11, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. Verse 18, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you, uh, for, for tomorrow when you will eat meat, the Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. 
we were better off in Egypt. But now, for a whole month, talking about the fact that they will be eating meat, until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did you ever, why did we ever leave Egypt? Twenty-one. But Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough in flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true. All the Israelites, uh, chapter 14, verses, uh, starting at verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us here to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Verse 10, the assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs, all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on the oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Chapter 20, verse 2. Now there was no water for the community, and people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. 21.4. They traveled from Mount Hor along, with, along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent, here we go, venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. It's a mouthful. I understand that. It's painful to have to listen to somebody read all that. 
And I thought about not reading all of it, but I think we need to hear it. And believe me, that cuts out a whole, whole, whole lot. But I think it gives good, proper context on the amount of grumbling and complaining that we heard from the Israelites. And I want us to keep this in mind that they are uh, an incredible example to us of exactly what grumbling and complaining is. But I also want us to keep in mind, and this is good for us, that what the Israelites were going through, the things that they were having to endure, were really, really, really big deals. Like, they were huge. They, were, they really were dying of starvation. They really were out of water, and they were in the wilderness. They were out of water, and they were them, their livestock, everything was thirsting to death. They really did leave Egypt, but before they did, think of us having to do this. Ryan coming up to me one day, and I'm just finished killing a sheep, and I'm catching his blood in a bowl, and he says, Dad, what are you doing? I'm painting it on the door frames of our house. And he would look at me like I was insane. But they did this, and then later on that night, as they lay in their beds without noisemakers and fans, they heard... In the quiet still of the night, screaming and screeching as the Egyptians heard their baby boys dying. The city was filled with it. And then they left and went out of the city and went into the wilderness. And then they had to watch God open up the sea that they got to walk across. And then they looked back as this monstrous army was after them and watched it collapse on them. I know state troopers who can no longer function correctly because they went and helped at a really bad accident, of just a bloody accident. And these Israelites just saw an entire army slaughtered in the sea. They had to listen to the wailing of people as their sons were killed. They're starving to death and thirsting to death. What they're going through, what they've been through, is, is, is a really big deal. The first thing we always want to do when we read about the Israelites here is we want to beat them up. We want to take the boots to them and give them a double axe handle across the back. But I don't want us to beat up the Israelites. I want us to keep in mind that what they're going through is, is huge. But what that, the reason that's good for us is because... A lot of times the things that we're going through in life, they're a big deal. And scripture nowhere in here says, God said, these Israelites, what they're going through is not a big deal. It never says that. He's never frustrated that they are questioning being hungry and thirsty, that they have a little worry about it. That's nothing to God. That's not what he's frustrated with here. That's not why he sends snakes or fire or threatens complete annihilation. So I want us to keep that in mind. But as we try and uh, correctly 
identify exactly what grumbling and arguing, what it is. I think we heard it in here, but I'm going to break it down. Uh, This is kind of what I brought out of here. It is our wailing against or about our hardships, our quarreling with God, our heated disagreement and arguing with God, our complaining over circumstances, our opposition to God's will in our lives, our false accusations about God. And I know that when, when we grumble and argue, a lot of times we have somebody else in our mind that we're grumbling and arguing about, but Scripture here makes it very clear that even though the Israelites were coming at Moses and Aaron, it's very clear that they were saying, hey, I don't know why you're coming at us. When you grumble and argue, guys, I want you to know that you're actually grumbling and arguing against God. So that is what our grumbling and arguing is. So now if we're looking at what's the origin, so where does this come from? There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out here in the desert to starve this entire assembly. We did, or why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? If only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Why did you ever leave, or why did we ever leave Egypt? If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us, uh, us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring, us, bring the Lord's community into this wilderness so that we and our livestock should die? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to do this to this terrible place? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Those are the specific things, the specific accusations that the Israelites were making against against God. And so what I take out of that as the origin of our grumbling and arguing against God, what I get is it comes from one of two things, sometimes a mixture of both. It's either from our outright distrust of God, so we just don't trust Him to do what He's promised, Why did you bring us out here to die? So the Israelites just, I know you said you were taking us to the promised land, but I think you're taking us out here to die. Why did you bring us out here? They just didn't trust him. Or, I think this is probably more where we, most of us, fall. Or, they just flat out preferred a different plan than that of the one God was working out. We were better off in Egypt. So it's not that they didn't 
trust God to take them to the promised land. They just preferred to stay in Egypt. They would have rather stayed in Egypt. They didn't like going through this really bumpy road, the ups and downs that God was taking them to, to get to the promised land. So in those instances, they believed him. They believed the promise. Man, you're going to take us to the promised land. We'd rather stay in Egypt. I know this is your will for us, Lord. Can we go back to Egypt? We had leeks and onions there and garlic. Now, a few weeks ago, and I'm, I, I, I am uh, completely honest here in that I, I know that I have a problem with grumbling and arguing. Um, that's why I'm preaching on it, because this is what the Lord's been hitting me over the head with. But even just a few weeks ago, and I'm glad Tom's not here because he would feel bad about it, even though he shouldn't. Uh, we started having an issue with one of our vehicles. And so, of course, I started to problem solve it. And I started with the most obvious and cheapest and worked my way up to the hardest and most expensive thing to do. Uh, none of it worked. Um, but as I was working on this vehicle, mostly when I was alone and my kids weren't around to hear, um, I, I actually got to the point where in my mind and, and even kind of like grumbling under my voice, I began to envision a world where the Moss family didn't have a vehicle. I began to envision a world where we just don't have the money to, to do this. What are we going to do? Because this Buick is, it won't start. It won't make a noise. Yes, I checked the battery and checked the gas. Thank you. I started to picture that world, and I got really frustrated. I even began to tell God, hey, Lord, you know, if this keeps on... Are you aware of how expensive this is going to be? Are you aware that this is Michelle's favorite vehicle? And that's like a three-minute dialogue in my head with the Lord as I'm reminding him of things. And all in that time, I had forgotten. <clears throat> you have two other vehicles, first of all. Uh, second of all. I've been an adult, I guess, acting as an adult uh, since I was 18, so 20, 23 years. And the Lord has never not given me a vehicle. Like, he's always provided. But in that two or three minutes in my head, uh, he, he was going to stop doing that. Not to mention, again, I've got two other vehicles. But in my anger and my frustration... I was letting the Lord have it. To my shame, I was letting the Lord have it. So I was doing a mixture of just not believing that he would take care of us and also going, Lord, why are you letting this happen? Like, we're pretty decent, and you're making me have vehicle trouble here, Lord. Can't you do something different? Like, can't I just bang something and the car starts? So that's the origin of our grumbling and arguing. It's outright disbelief. And again, I think the, 
the one that we are probably most guilty of as Christians. I think we believe God, but I think oftentimes we say, oh, I, don't, I really don't like that will for my life that you have. Like I hear it, and I believe you'll take me there. But I'd prefer if we did this. Or, Lord, I really wouldn't mind being a Christian, but, man, if you're calling me to get up and speak in front of people? How about uh, praying out loud in front of others? I think not, Lord. Giving of our time? Lord, that is my time. So oftentimes it's not that we just don't believe God. It's that we don't exactly do what, it, what we're called to do here. Israelites give us the great example of this. They would rather go back to Egypt and get regular beatings, and they were slaves, but at least they had garlic and leeks and onions. I only like garlic out of that list. But that's what they dreamed of and thought about. That's what they sat around and remembered so now the big question here is how does God view our grumbling and arguing well he says that uh, in verse 7 chapter 16 he says because he has heard your grumbling against him and this is Moses saying that who are we that you should grumble against us Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord not among us? People complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. The Lord heard you when you wailed. They're going to eat until it comes out of their nostrils and they loathe it because you have rejected the Lord and you have wailed before him. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long would they refuse to believe in me? No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. The people grew impatient on the way they spoke against God. So how does God see our grumbling and arguing I think it's fair to say that he sees our grumbling and arguing as a rejection of him, which is the dismissing or refusing of a proposal, an idea, the spurning of a person's affection. So when we grumble and complain, when we grumble and argue, God sees that as as us spurning his affection. Lord, I understand you're trying to love me here, by walking with me through this life. 
but thanks, but no thanks. I don't want it. That's how God sees it. And then he also sees it as contempt, which sounds bad. But then when we listen to the definition of it, and these are both found in there, Numbers 11.20 and then Numbers 14.11, contempt. The feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration. So this is how God's thinking. You guys are looking at me like I'm beneath consideration, worthless, deserving of scorn. You're disregarding something that should be taken into account. Disobedient or disrespectful. That's how God views our grumbling and arguing. Rejection of him. Spurning of his affections. Contempt. He sees it as a very serious sin. And in fact... We heard earlier the, the things that he was going to do. He was going to, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm going to just wipe everybody out. Moses interceded. And then another time he just lit the entire outer realm of their camp up. The Bible doesn't say the folks got burnt up, but I guess their stuff did. So God made fire just come up. And then the worst of all, he sent snakes. And even if you're not scared of snakes, these were venomous snakes that chased everybody down and Israelites died. The Bible does say that some of them were killed. So I don't think that God would do these things if this wasn't a big deal. And I think oftentimes we take our Grumbling and complaining, if it comes to our mind as like a baby sin, not a, not a huge deal. Something that, you know, but at least I don't do these other things. And that's good that we don't do these other things. But grumbling and arguing with the Lord is quite the offense. A lot of times when uh, I've, I have found... That even when I pray, I think I've shared with you guys before, I've got a, quite the commute to work, and a lot of times I use that time to pray. And I saw in myself that a lot of times my prayers would go from a nice, good Christian prayer uh, to me arguing with the Lord, debating with God on why He should do this or that. And John Piper says that it's, our inner attorney that comes up. And when I heard that, I thought, goodness, I am taking the Lord to court. And my inner attorney is making arguments on, Lord, why you should change this in my life. Why this, that's not right, you should stop doing that. Or you should call somebody to stop acting a certain way. God sees it as an extremely serious offense. Now, little teeny piece, verses 15 and 16a. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them 
like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Numbers 14, 24, and we already read it. But because Caleb, my servant, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. When we look for an example of, and God does a, a wonderful job showing us exactly what grumbling and complaining looks like to him. Again, we kind of downplay it, but this is how he sees it. He does a great job of that, painting that in Scripture, but then he gives us an incredible example of what he wants it to look like. And they play with each other here in the sense that Numbers fourteen twenty four gives us this great example in Caleb. And we understand that Caleb was one of the few guys that came back and said, yeah, we got some big boys in there. Let's go. Find your swords and your pitchforks and let's go get it. Everybody else said, uh, no, let's not go get it. But Caleb is the exact example of this. Out of all the Israelites, thousands of them, Caleb stuck out. God noticed him. So in the eyes of God, Caleb trusted in him, and he followed him no matter where God was taking them. Again, God was fixing to take them to fight against an army that should beat them. And Caleb was like, well, the Lord's with us, so let's go get it. But Caleb was trusting in him, following him no matter what. God saw him as, just like verses 15 and 16 says, God saw him as blameless and pure, without fault, among the warped and crooked generation of Israelites, he shined like a star. He stuck out as he wholeheartedly followed and then held firmly to the word of life. That's what it looks like. He trusted God. Not that God wasn't taking him through something that was legitimately tough. And he was with the Israelites through all this trash too. Like he also was thirsting to death at different times and starving and having to eat manna every day. So Caleb had come through all that too and he was faced with the same army that everybody else was faced with. But Caleb was trusting in the Lord wholeheartedly. Not just in show. He wasn't just putting up this fake mask of following God. He was really doing it. God saw into his heart and said he was doing it wholeheartedly. And again, what we face oftentimes in life, they're really hard things. They're really, really hard things. Just like what the Israelites faced. And again, God never says... He never downplays what we're going through. He just says, just, just trust in me. And then scripture also makes it pretty clear that the, to, to follow the Lord, 
you're going to have a degree of hardships. Like there's going to be stuff that comes with following the Lord just because you follow the Lord. The Israelites were experiencing that. We experience that. And God says, just, just come on and be ready because it's coming. Paul says later on in Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 10, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the spurn, surpass, excuse me, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering because like him, or becoming like him in his death. So Paul, as he gets to the end of this letter to the Philippians, he's saying, hey, you're going to go through some tough stuff. You're going to lose some of the worldly awesomeness just to follow God. But do like me and just count that stuff as rubbish. It doesn't matter anyway. You're not losing anything that's actually got any great value to it. And then he says, count, as, count it as a blessing to walk through these tough times for the sake of the gospel. Count that as a blessing. I know that, and, and I'm closing up, I know that, at least for me, that this can come off as like super like uh, daunting, very daunting task to like get under control before some venomous snakes come after me or fire consumes my household. I need to get this under control because God is not happy with this. But again, I think it's important that we keep in mind that this this is a matter of our sanctification. Like, as we walk with the Lord through this life, He's just working on us a little bit at a time. And He's just trying to get us to grumble and argue with Him a little bit less as we trust in Him just a teeny bit more every day. And that's... That's my goal so that it's not too overwhelming for me. It's, I just hope and pray that the Lord will strengthen me every day and kind of keep it in my mind to avoid and to push back against my grumbling and arguing with Him. And when I get into the part where I'm praying and I start to argue with Him, to take that captive. And then lastly... And then we'll be finished. Think of the world that we live in that they take pride, so they're outright proud of, and they're known for their ability, our ability, to make complaints, to protest, to riot, and to revolt. Like that's what our our people, our world is becoming known for. Like, we're happy about that. That stuff goes on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. We're super excited. We want people to see the way we revolt and push back against stuff and complain against the man. 
and it's making for a pretty miserable world to live in. And Paul here is saying, hey, just, just imagine if you became people, Christians, who were marked by our lack of grumbling and arguing and complaining and shaking our fist. Imagine the, the way that we would stick out to the rest of the world if we pushed back against that and we were marked by our gratefulness and our trust in the Lord. We will stick out if we do that. We will be a great witness. So I just pray that God would keep it on our hearts, that he would convict us where conviction needs to land, uh, that we would push back against this sin that is it's a big deal to him. May God bless the preaching of his word.